unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. We've got a fantastic guest today, a founder of creative agency Intents and Purposes. They received the Governor General's gold medal for their research into design for social impact, social innovation, and sustainability. They're the author of the bestseller, The Conscious Creative Practical Ethics for Purposeful Work. With a new book coming for 2023, please join me in welcoming Kelly Small. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for having me. You ready for your 20 questions? Okay, let's go. Let's do okay. this. Number one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? All right. So I am, uh, I wear a few hats. I'm a designer. I'm a creative director. I am an author, as you mentioned, and I'm also an educator now. So my day job is that I work with big brands, um, whether that's in the public or private sectors to really fulfill their business objectives, but also working toward, you know, larger goals of improved futures. And by that, I mean, you know, things like inclusivity and belonging and anti-oppression and sustainability. That's awesome. Um, just a note for our audience. I, I think I came to know your work um, when I went to Chapters Indigo on Robson and saw your book there and bought a copy and then went back and bought like five or six copies to give to friends. I loved it so much. That's uh, so kind of you. Thank you, Thomas. I love it. Um, number two is what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? All right. I love this question. I also, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm the only, probably not the only person who thinks this way, but a piece of knowledge that really drives my work is the idea of dialectical thinking. And it, it was one of those things. So, so the idea of holding, you know, that two seemingly opposing ideas can be true at the same time really transformed my work. I mean, I am a non-binary person. I, my philosophies are all very outside of binary ways of thinking. And I think once we can hold that, you know, multiple realities can be happening at the same time, for example, like something you can work in an agency or a firm, for example, that is ethical and unethical at once. Once I was able to wrap my head around this fact that there is no such thing as this sort of perfectly ethical, um, sustainable place where we will arrive as a creative person, it really took a lot of pressure off me to be able to affect you know, smaller, more incremental changes as I was going throughout my career. That makes a lot of sense because at one point you were really reinventing yourself, right? Like as a creative. I was, yeah. I uh, I started out, I mean, I was a graphic designer by trade, communication designer, and then became a creative director in like big business serving, you know, folks like uh, big telcos and car companies and selling a lot of goods and participating in systems that were really, really challenging to me from a values perspective. I felt like I had to be kind of a different person 
in the professional world than I was in my personal life. And so I did, I, uh, I went back to school and did, did a master's of design at Emily Carr in order to really start to explore what it might look like to use these creative skills that I had attained over the years in service to something other than, you know, manufacturing uh, desire for, products that people didn't really need or in many cases were actually quite harmful to them and to society as a whole and so yeah it's uh, I'm very grateful to be on the other side of that in this sort of post reinvention where I am much more committed and uh, focused on a client base that is you know doing uh, doing work that I feel a lot better about participating in. That's great. Um, you'll see in one of the later questions, but a, a common response to one of them is is how hard it is to do um, work that goes against what your values are. Um, number three is why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Well, I mean, part of it, I think, to keep it real has to be around the fact that you know I, I'm not one of those people that sort of rides the line of being able to be very good at a lot of different things I am not a polymath I am not someone who really uh, was very successful in like the maths and the sciences of the world mm -hmm. I was always going to be going into the arts that was clear whether it was going to be writing art design and I'm I'm very fortunate now to have built a career that allows me to touch on so many uh, different areas of the arts. You know, I, I moved around a lot in my career when I was working for other folks in agencies and creative firms. And I got to touch everything from, you know, experience design through to like real digital innovation, doing event work, selling packaged goods, you kind of name it. And so I've, I've developed this, you know, toolbox and skill set that allows me to work for just about any kind of client and be able to offer them, you know, types of design that are appropriate for them. And, and what it does for me is keeps things interesting enough that I'm able to do a little bit of all of that, um, you know, in, in my career and in my daily life, it's, it's honestly such a gift. That's great. Um, number four is what does your future look like? Big question. Very big question. Um, I think I'll answer this one with you know, obviously, I have I have absolutely no idea. Um, there are you know innumerable futures in front of me um, that I am very grateful to have access to. I think I have access to them, and I am open to what comes my way. And now all that to say, I am not the kind of person that's kind of just like waiting around to let things happen. But I want to stay open to what feels good at the time. I think I have fallen victim, you know, if you can even call it that. I've, I've been trapped by thinking that I could perfectly curate my life and future. I think this is something that a lot of creative people, a lot of designers now, I've had my therapists, numerous therapists have told me this. You're a designer. You're trying to design your life. It's not possible. And so I keep trying to be a little bit more comfortable, we'll say, in the ambiguity of the everyday and 
trying to stay really in touch with my values, my priorities, and allowing those things to dictate the future. So whereas 10 years ago, I probably would have told you some grandiose story about a professional future that is very shiny and fancy. Now I I might be a little bit more hopeful for something that is more well-rounded, where my personal life and my family life are very nicely balanced with a fulfilling professional career that isn't necessarily in the spotlight, but is simply something that I enjoy doing every day and can forge real uh, emotional, uh, you know, healthy relationships with like my clients and colleagues and vendors and all of the rest of the folks that, you know, I work with to make these projects happen. That's great. I heard you say in another interview about um, how it's no longer about this ivory tower perfection and now it's much more collaborative. I, you know, that's something I think about a lot these days too. Yeah, absolutely. The I think the notion of that like omnipotent design expert who walks into the room and gathers a little bit of information and then goes away and makes magic happen behind the scenes, I would like to believe that's dead. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about collaboration and being deeply uh, involved with stakeholders and users, the folks who are going to be beneficiaries, hopefully, of the work that we do, um, as well as um, a much deeper sort of client collaboration. And, you know, those those always, in my experience anyway, tend to be the projects that are the most successful in the end and, and the most fulfilling because you've built real human relationships while doing this, uh, you know, hopefully world-changing work. Great. Okay. Um, Five is one of my favorite questions. So it's let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? This is a really interesting question. And I don't think that I have spent a great deal of time thinking about place. I and placemaking and location. I grew up moving around a lot. Mm. And so I sort of came up with this or or grew up with this idea that it didn't really matter where I was, mm-hmm. um, that location didn't matter. And uh, I don't really subscribe to that anymore. I think, okay, professionally, you know, I can work from anywhere. I am fortunate that way with what I do, particularly post pandemic where so much has moved online, but I am finding myself much more rooted in the community that I live in now. I think that started actually when I lived in Vancouver and I was, you know, a member of the West End community and, you know, just off of Davie street and, started to understand more about the unceded territory that mm. is what we call Vancouver. And so I've brought that back to Toronto with me. And, you know, it's it's really early days and, and it's not something that I think I can talk about with a great deal of authority. I feel like I am a student of placemaking. I know it's something that gets talked about at Emily Carr a lot and I would love to learn more about it, but the things that I think I have gleaned so far is the 
incredible importance of understanding our relationship to the land. Mm -hmm. I think the incredible of importance of being a participating member of a community and not just a person who happens to live here, but someone who contributes and notices and tries to uh, be in their community mindfully. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, um, it's a lot of question marks, and I'll just, you know, keep trying to learn more about that. Great. Um, six is, if you had to start from the beginning, what advice would you give your former younger self? Oh, so many things. So many things. I don't, this is not going to be particularly quotable, because I think it comes from someone else, but I think... Uh, do you <laughs> like I would I would like grab myself gently by the shoulders and shake a little bit and say like please please just go out there and be yourself everybody else is taken um the the reality was I think especially coming up when I did that being my whole self that is you know a let's say neuro spicy uh non-binary trans queer person was not always it was not always safe to be fully present and out as my full self Mm -hmm. but I wish that more of myself had been embraced and I hadn't spent so much looking externally for what I was supposed to become and instead honing the things that made me different and made me special while learning from those other people and not trying to sort of be or or mimic that. It took a lot of unlearning for me to get back to a place where I felt like I was living authentically and and showing up in rooms as me and feeling like I even had the right uh to show up and and share the ideas that I had for for a great deal of my career I really and truly had this core belief that what I had to say didn't particularly matter and I think you know a lot of that comes from you know all of us being uh, you know, stuck in systems of oppression that really reinforce those ideas. So, you know, I don't really hold it against myself. I'm not shocked that that happened. And I think that happens to a lot of people with all sorts of different intersecting identities. Um, but yeah, just please do you be you show up as you. Mm, that's great. Um, seven is what's a day in your life like? Ooh, a day in my life is, it's quite variable, I have to say. And I do that very intentionally because I get bored very easily. So let's say an average day in the life is like, I will say formally. So you have a point of comparison. I used to just get up, go straight to the computer and work all day until about 10 p.m. So that is unsustainable, obviously, and I really burned out from that approach. And so now I I get up, I go for a long walk with my dog, I often listen to a podcast, or I just go without headphones. And one of my favorite things is to just like meet up with the kind of everyday other dog walkers in the neighborhood, like the other you know, neighbors saying hi, having a little chat. It's such a nice way to start the day. And then 
come home, I eat breakfast now, like what a concept. And I do that mindfully, not sitting at the computer. And then, you know, I sit down and I start working, you know, around nine o'clock and I work from like nine to 12. That usually looks like, you know, answering emails, connecting with clients, sometimes holding brainstorm sessions, meeting with you know, new potential collaborators because Intents and Purposes operates as a collective. I'm always trying to meet up with other values-driven creatives mm-hmm. to uh, to do work with. Um, you know, I stop for lunch now again, which is like <laughs> the silliest thing, mm-hmm. but has been so transformative to like actually eat food and I don't get headaches the way I used to. Mm-hmm because I'm not just living on coffee. Um, the rest of the day is is more of the same. Sometimes I go work in a coffee shop. Sometimes I'll take an afternoon off to go for a long walk with a friend or to pop over to see someone who's been, you know, having a hard Um, You know, I think I have now built in this variability that allows for rest and recharging and filling my cup back up so that when I sit down and I'm ready to get the work done, I find that it flows much, much easier. And I'm really grateful to be, you know, working for myself now and to be able to have built that in because it's a, it's a massive game changer. Oh, and then I always end the day with a little bit of yoga. Always. That's, that just, keeps me feeling uh feeling amazing and like very very low stakes yoga I'm not one of those people that has like all the fancy outfits and like goes to a class but just do it at home and I find it's a good way to unwind awesome number eight is lifelong learning is a popular topic these days how do you stay up to date mm-hmm. uh- so I I am uh sometimes I think connected to a fault I have uh, far too many Google uh, alerts set up. I get way too many e-newsletters. I listen to so many podcasts. I am constantly reading nonfiction. Um, It's, you know, none of it is a real sort of surprising answer. I think it's, it's just staying connected, but then also I think attitudinally, It's about not putting pressure on yourself to consume all of it. I think Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, we we know that we are all bombarded by something like up to 10,000 messages a day. Um, That's too many. And then we start adding more to it because lifelong learning and um, this continued education, you know, is such a popular topic and such an expectation of us on top of our day jobs and our hobbies and the rest of the things that we do. I think it's great to stay connected, get it coming into your inbox, keep tabs on the books you want to read and then do it when you feel for it. You know, just, I think it's really, really key not to uh, be forcing it and to make sure, you know, I'm evangelical about rest now, especially following burnout. I think it is essential if folks haven't heard of the NAP ministry, uh, their tagline is rest as resistance or rest is resistance. 
uh, it's absolutely brilliant and really uh, worth checking them out on Instagram or on their blog. You read my mind. I was thinking about naps at that point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that says about our podcast here. (laughs) Um, Just about halfway here. Number nine, what tools do you use? Are you digital and analog? Uh, I am predominantly digital. I have always kind of uh, went and I've always gone in that direction. I mean, definitely I sketch, I write by hand sometimes, but for the most part, I am uh, the full Adobe suite, sometimes Figma. Um, I use Miro Mm -hmm. for whiteboarding. I use Slack to keep up with all of the folks who participate in intents and purposes. there are probably all sorts. I mean, the full Google suite, there are so many um, tools to be used now that sometimes I have to go back and like check out all of my subscriptions and make sure I'm not like overdoing it. But it's, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the ability to be able to literally pick up my laptop and go anywhere to be able to travel um, not that I have done that recently, but when I do again and to be able to work in any time zone, like it's just, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm grateful for it. And I, I also, because I think I'm a bit of an introverted person, honestly, and it takes a lot out of me to be in a very fast paced, very loud, intense environment. And so because of all of these tools, I'm able to take care of myself in a way that makes life and work feel more sustainable and more balanced. Mm, Nice segue to number 10. How do you deal with work-life balance? Yeah, I think like this has been kind of the topic of the essay throughout just, Mm -hmm. I think because of where I am in my life right now, it, I, I deal with it by, uh, you know, working consistently. I think it's a practice. I don't think it's a destination. Um, working pretty diligently to always ask the question, like, what are my priorities? What are my values? Am I living those values? Am I living those priorities? And if I am not, you know, I can usually feel it. Like I can, I can feel that sort of like twinge of anxiety in my stomach when things are feeling a little out of whack or a little too fast. And so I think it comes from a connectedness with oneself Mm -hmm. and uh, staying intuitive and listening to our bodies. And for me, that's, that's really been, I think the key and then the rest falls into place. I love that. Um, Number 11, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? (laughs) Great question. You know, I I used to say that I would be writing full time, but every time I sit down to write, including the book that I'm writing right now, I, it's, it's, it's more of a challenge for me to get into that headspace and to start the work than it is for me with my creative direction and design work. And so I don't know, like maybe, maybe if that had been my primary thing, I would be doing it. I would love to be, you know, my, one of my heroes is Roxanne Gay. And, uh, you know, if, if I weren't doing what I'm doing right now, 
what I love to say, I would be doing some of the brilliant work that she is doing. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, absolutely. Nice. Um, 12, what would you not like to do in terms of career? Mm. Uh, anything, anything having to do with uh, math would make me really sad. So being an accountant, I would be the world's worst accountant. Um, nobody would hire me and, and they would be correct doing so. So I think anything kind of in that realm where um, I think as well, like anything, like maybe, maybe legal stuff would be a bit rough as well. I struggle with uh, notions of professionalism that can be very rooted in certain like industries and ways of working. You know, I, I've read a couple of really interesting articles. There's one in the Stanford Social Innovation Review in particular that talks about how professionalism as we know it is this very white male, cis, straight um, sort of hangover from early days of quote unquote professional life. Mm -hmm. And we are taking all of those ideals and placing them on communities of people for whom they simply don't fit. And so I felt in my life, you know, especially working for a big business, like felt very, very oppressed by the um, expectations that were placed on me and I say that as a white person with a ton of privilege that comes with that, you know, I know the article that I read that I'm referencing in particular talked a lot about the Black community and, you know, how things like natural hairstyles have been considered by some people to be not professional. You know, that that is probably the, the best example I can give you as to why these some of these notions of professional life are are bullshit and I would like to do away with them entirely. So I think anything that forced me to adhere to a, you know, in order to be in this job, you have to dress this way or you have to present yourself that way would not work for me. Um, I need the fluidity and the openness to be able to be myself and to be able to freely challenge institutional norms. Um, that's, that's just how I am. Great. 13 is what's your favorite word, quote, or sentence? Oh, that is a great question. I think it is something I read fairly recently by mm -hmm. Billy Ray Belcourt in his book of, of prose and poetry. My, oh, what is it called? A brief, a history of my brief body beautiful if you can get your hands on it mm. um and toward the end of that book he says that happiness is the greatest form of resistance and I know there have been other quotes sort of in that vein over the years and I just I absolutely live for the idea that when we can fully live our whole authentic lives and experience real joy 
you know, that that is the greatest act of resistance against the oppressive systems that we are, you know, in many ways, largely trapped within. That is that is truly the way out. Great. Um, do you have a least favorite word, quote or sentence? Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I uh, I don't love everything. And, th and that's going to be, um, you know, a lot of people adhere to that. A lot of people love that and say it and find it very um, calming in moments where they need that. And I, uh, you know, I'm not, don't want to ever take that away from anyone. For me, I always felt like it pointed to a reason outside of my own agency mm -hmm. to impact life and my choices. So there was always something about it that just kind of hit me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, number 15, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would you choose? Oof. I'm going to say tenacious. You know, I... I work really hard when I can work hard and I bounce back from hard things. And I feel, I feel proud of myself for that. What keeps you up at night? Actually nothing mm. um, right now, which is a real uh, privilege to be able to say in the past, what would keep me up at night were, very large presentations in front of like the president of a company where we were trying to sell through a big creative idea. Um, at this point I'm sleeping, you know, quite soundly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because I have really looked deeply at the ways I needed to work in order to feel like I could find success and by success I don't necessarily mean like monetary success I mean you know feeling feeling good on the daily and um creating a, a sustainable uh career for myself so yeah that's that's a bit of a gift right now nice what's the dream you're chasing you know I think uh, one of the things that I dreamt about always, always was to write a book and to be published. And that happened in 2020 when House of Anansi picked up the Conscious Creative. And I'm just like still kind of floored when people reach out to me and, you know, say something kind about the book or that it inspired them. It always blows my mind. I'm like, are you sure you're talking to me? Like, did this, did this really happen? Was that a dream? And I think that piece is still something that I'm chasing. I think I would love to continue to write about not necessarily just ethics. I have a lot to, to say as well around like where we're going right now in diversity and inclusion and belonging and you know, where I think a lot of organizations are are getting it wrong and sort of missing out on what it means to actually make communities feel safe in spaces. Um, there are so many different topics that I would love to write about. So I think the dream is to have the freedom and the um, platform to be able to continue to share some of those thoughts, uh, research deeply and collaborate with some really smart folks to 
to share some of those ideas in hopes that they, you know, support other people in their careers. I love it. Um, final stretch here, number 18, what inspires you? Is it cliche to say that nature inspires me? Because that is, that is the truth. Um, I don't think there's anything that makes me feel as grounded or um, gives me the same level of perspective as I get from like walking through Stanley Park and just like putting my hands on a giant tree. Um, and I, it's, it's lateral in that, not literal in that, you know, I'm not getting this like flash of inspiration for the next big campaign that I'm doing. But I think inspiration for me comes from feeling like there is so much out there that is so much larger than myself and any sort of career and the things that, you know, we humans get really caught up in. I find that it it lends perspective to the creative problems or interventions that I'm I'm looking to address when I can immerse myself in something so grand um and so large yeah I love that I have such a kind of visual kind of response to that with with your hands on the tree kind of kind of being inspired in that way that's super interesting um any advice you'd like to share I think the advice I'd like to share uh, particularly you know I was uh, being interviewed actually earlier today by a couple of amazing students from uh, Durham College and they they asked me this question and I gave them the advice that I would have given my younger self which is to like radically be you as you embark on your career as you enter into the industry um and that doesn't mean <laughs> radically in the sense of like you know becoming too much of an anarchist and burning it all to the ground but it it means showing up in spaces and trusting that the things you have to say and your lived experience you are the only person who has that perspective and that those viewpoints and those are deeply deeply valuable so please try i know it's incredibly difficult to maintain your voice as you you know you go out there um because it's it's everything great and number 20 how can our listeners keep tabs on you what's our call to action yeah so Y'all can keep tabs on me at, um, check out my website. So intensepurposes.co is uh, where you can get me professionally. I'm also on Instagram at Kelly Small, on Twitter at Kelly underscore Small. You can get me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always open for conversations. So please, please, um, if it feels like something you'd like to do, don't hesitate to uh to reach out i always like to have new conversations awesome well thanks so much kelly i mean you know when you when your first book came out i was i was radically kind of um moved in a way that 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 could happen that that a person could could release that kind of book and and be uh be so well received it was uh really inspirational for me i'm super excited for your 2023 book and just your part, hearing about your personal journey is is really magical. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, that's really kind, Thomas. Thanks for saying so. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
Thanks. If you liked today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more unique ways. Thank you.